Hello, and welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. My name is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And my mission is to help women with PCOS find the tools and knowledge they need to take control of their PCOS so they can regain their fertility, femininity, health, and happiness. This podcast is sponsored by my new book, Healing PCOS, a 21-day plan that takes you step-by-step through healing and thriving with PCOS. It's all in there waiting for you, beginning with the three keys to living your best life as a PCOS diva. For more details, visit HealingPCOS.com. I'm thrilled to have Magdalena Shalaki, the author of the brand new book, Cooking for Hormone Balance, and she's a certified health coach back on my show. I um, had her on our podcast. We were talking about herbs for hormone balance, and I had to invite her back on because I am just so excited. I've been waiting two years for this book, Magdalena. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But just to give you a little info about Magdalena, um, she had her own health journey with issues um, that the medical world um, failed to adequately address. Um, starting with Graves' disease and then later Hashimoto's disease and adrenal fatigue. Um, She was later diagnosed with estrogen dominance, heavy metal toxicity. But today she is happily in remission from Graves and Hashimoto's. She's managed to reverse her estrogen dominance. And she shares her lessons learned from her experiences and helping other women to rebalance their hormones with everyday practices. And just so thrilled to have you back, Magdalena. Thank you so much, Amy. Just as you talk about this, it just makes me always realize how much more vibrant and healthy I feel now that I'm 45, you know, as compared to when I was 25. Yeah, I can totally relate because I'm, I'm four, just turned 46, so we're like similar age. And yeah. I can tell you back in my 20s um, and early 30s, I felt way too um, young to feel so old. And I yeah. bet you can relate with that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, you know, having this whole, you know, I kind of went down this laundry list of, of um, syndromes and symptoms that you had. Um, and, you know, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your journey to wellness. Sure. You know, and um, let's just start off with genetics first. One of the big realizations I had was just when I had my genes tested, how genetically weak I am. I have so many double mutations. And in case this is all new to our listeners, it's just, you know, it's this piece of paper you get and you get a lot of these red boxes which show you double mutations on whatever genes that are responsible for, I mean, thousands and thousands of different things in your body from your vitamin D levels to you. You know, whether including dictating your personality traits, like being a workaholic or being, you know, um, being having bouts of anger, being a poor sleeper, having low vitamin D, chronically low vitamin D levels. I mean, the list goes on. So starting off with that, but also, you know, not being a breastfed baby, right? Trauma at birth is another thing. My mom um, smoking while being pregnant with me. Um, not breastfeeding me, very nervous. My mom was a very nervous person. You know, that all gets passed on to the kids, right? And, you know, and then having a lot of sensitivities, which I probably not, it don't come as a surprise to me. My mom's gut health was never great. And as you know, I was born vaginally, and so we get our mom's 
uh, bacteria passed on to us, right, and we get inoculated with them. Uh, I certainly have the same food sensitivities that she has uh, till today, and so, you know, it's like, but that's what I was brought up on, right, dairy, gluten, eggs, because that was the good stuff that your mom would feed you, and so that was, that resulted in chronic eczema and ear infections, I still remember being taken to a hospital, and they would suck out the pus out of my ears, that's how bad the infections were, chronic sinus infections, right, and then as I grew older, it turned into, you know, these food sensitivities a lot of times would evolve to manifesting in different ways. They stay, but they just manifest in different ways. And so as a young adult, I had cystic acne, not just on my face, but also on my back, my front, my, you know, my chest. I also had them on my butt even. Um, that's how bad. And, you know, cystic acne are painful and they're hard to cover. And they, they really take out a lot of your confidence, especially as a young woman who's just started dating. Um, you know, this. I mean, I definitely had candida, as you as you mentioned as well. So, um, you know, that was something that stayed, and, and I still struggle with it till today, to be perfectly honest. Heavy metal toxicity from living in South in, in China for four years. You know, not really knowing what the heck I was eating. It's hard to control what you're eating, uh, and then you know that would manifest in. I mean, everything from having constant candida issues to having. Uh, a lot of fatigue and a lot of hormonal imbalances and eventually developing an autoimmune disease. Um, in my late 20s, I was diagnosed with grace, but then, you know, I was put on, as it happens, they put you on thyroid-blocking medication and, you know, call it a day, right? You're fixed. And never addressing the autoimmune component, which I had no idea about at that point. And then, you know, of course, 80 years later, I came back with a vengeance, this time around in the form of Hashimoto's disease. So uh, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have that. And if you're not familiar, Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease that your thyroid gets attacked by your own immune system, which is, if you think about it, it's kind of a crazy situation that your own body is kind of how, you know, how dysregulated is it that it has to turn around, turn against its own organs and recognize and, and thinking that it's, it's an enemy. Uh, so Hashimoto's was really where I think it was like a major turning point for me when I realized intuitively I felt that, you know, living in China, living a hugely stressful life, being, um, traveling all the time. I was on the planes once, twice a week, um, traveling the region and realizing that this kind of lifestyle is gonna kill me somewhere at some point. And so even though we sold the agency and, um, you know, to get the full payout, I could have stayed for two years and I quit after six months because I just could not, I thought to myself, whatever money I'm going to make, all of that and much more is going to cost me just to recover because I'm just going down in flames right now. Yes. And, you know, so, that was, yeah. I was just going to clarify um, your story. So you were an ad agency exec and, yes. you know, I can't tell you how many women reach out to me with just these, these immensely stressful jobs, um, mm -hmm. whether they're in, you know, nurse in healthcare, working swing shifts a teacher, <laughs> um, you know, not able to really even eat during the day um, and take care of themselves to yeah. executives um, like you were where, you know, you're traveling and going through time zones and eating on the run. Um, yeah. And you really needed to move away from that in order to heal. Yeah, it's a really important. It's, you know, if, if you ask me to one about one thing that I've learned from this journey is to really listen to our bodies and, you know, and, and my body was giving me so many signals much, much earlier on, and I just chose to ignore it, chose not to sleep, I chose to, you know, trouble a lot, never say no to things. It was only towards the end when I really felt sick and tired, I was so fatigued, I just could not function, 
um, that's when I started saying no to more things. But that was, you know, it was a little bit too late by then, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, you know, fast forward, this was in 2008, and, you know, we are in 2018 today, and I, 10 years later, and like I said, I feel better than what I felt when I was 25, today being a 45-year-old woman, um, in complete remission from, um, grace is totally in the past, but total remission from Hashimoto's disease, um, estrogen dominant comes back on, we can talk about that if you like, I think that's yeah. a very relevant topic, so just hang in there if you don't know what estrogen dominance is, uh, almost every woman I know has it to some degree, uh, you know, and so that's in the, that's in the past, except that if I don't take care of myself, I do stupid things and it will come back. It's definitely, and by the way, I also have a genetic predisposition for being really slow estrogen metabolizer. That's another thing, you know, and, and um, adrenal fatigue is there if I push with projects and just don't take care of myself, but everything else is pretty much in, you know, it's, it's in, um, I mean, gosh, I'm, I'm just a totally new person with full of energy. I sleep pretty well. You know, I, I feel good. I look good. Um, and, um, yeah. And so I, it's, you know, that stuff works. What we, what you and I teach, that stuff works. <laughs> yeah, it really, and it is, it's, it's not the, the bandaid quick fix. It takes time. I mean, it took, took me many years to, of like working, you know, day after day, making good choices for myself to get to this point. And I'm sure it did for you too, but the good news is you can heal. Um, Absolutely. And so you've been a busy lady the last um, year or so working on this amazing book, which I, I had the privilege of having a sneak peek of it and it is beautiful, um, full color, lots of gorgeous pictures of, you know, delicious recipes. Um, but I think the, the strength of the book is your protocols and approach to balancing hormones. And, um, you know, I'd love for you to tell listeners a little bit about your three-legged stool approach mm-hmm. to um, hormonal balance. Yeah, thanks, Amy. So the first thing, you know, uh, so the three-legged stool pretty much sets up the book uh, and, and the readers and just to really have a clear understanding of how food on a very practical but also medical level really impacts us. And I think that's really important because I feel like our readers and our followers are really smart, inquisitive women mm-hmm. and giving them the knowledge and empowerment of why, not just the what. So the what is the recipes, right? Is the what, is the how, or the why rather, um, is, is equally important because then it will, you know, once you understand um, what goes on in the body and how food can really impact the various parts of our body that impact then the hormones, then you will be much more motivated to start making changes. Yeah, can I, can I just mention something? Like for no. me early on, um, you know, boy, I loved a donut on a Sunday morning. That was like a real treat going to mass and then going and getting a donut. But once I could reframe that donut as really like this um, Molotov cocktail for my blood sugar, <laughs> that, you know, I really and I could really understand what that was doing to my body, it totally reframed the way that I looked at donuts. So I think you're absolutely right about really understanding the nuts and bolts of how food is affecting your body. And that's what you've done in this book. So go ahead. Yeah. So the three legged stool that you mentioned, I use that as a foundation for hormonal balance. And, uh, you know, so imagine trying to sit on a three legged stool, right? If one of the legs is short, you start wobbling. If one of them is missing, you just completely fall. And so with our hormones, it's somewhat similar. Um, And the three legs, the three legs are the three bodily systems. The first one is the health of your gut. 
The second one is your sugar balance. And the number three is the health of your liver. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, and everything else on top of that, I treat it as a cushion that you add on. So just to give you an example, for instance, if somebody's having, you know, um, if you say, if you're having PCOS and you're talking about so taking berberine, right, or peony um, as an additional herb, that's, to me, that's an additional cushion. It feels nice and comfortable to sit on it. But imagine, again, if one of the legs is missing, so for example, if your sugar balance is out of control, no matter how much berberine you do, you're still going to be, you know, you're still right. going to be optimal, right? right? And so that's what I use as the foundation of the book, and that's how it's been built. So listening to those, um, you know, three legs of your stool, I bet a lot of women are thinking, okay, I have digestion problems, and yes, I know I've got blood sugar issues. I mean, that's kind of the in- insulin component is at the root of PCOS. And, you know, I haven't, I don't know too much about my liver, but I'm sure my liver could use a little love. I might have non-alcoholic fatty liver disorder. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I need some help there. But where do I start? This all seems mm-hmm. a little overwhelming. Yeah. So, you know, I, I treat, um, I, I, my recommendation is to always start off with the gut. Um, because when you have, you know, when your gut starts healing, then you're also supporting your liver right away. You know, if you're just working on the liver while you're not taking care of your digestion, then the liver is still going to be struggling, right? And so, so it's always starting off with, with that and with, with the gut health. And, you know, I'm a big proponent of starting off the elimination diet, right? Getting off all the gluten, dairy, soy, um, eggs, corn, um, you know, minimizing sugar to as much as possible and especially processed ones. And, you know, and starting off with that and really – bringing down the inflammation in the body as much as possible um, to, to a point where you can start feeling the difference. Um, you know, the, the reason why we want to start off with the gut, and the, I feel like the elimination diet is just a really great, easy, fairly easy, straight, you know, starting point. And by the way, all the recipes in the book, which is the 127 of them, all of them are um, compliant to the elimination diet I talked about without these foods. And so... You know, and so why is it so important? Well, when your digestion is in a mess, um, the first thing that happens is you've got, you know, it's considered stress to the body, right? And the the same way you're stressed out, let's say, about financial situation, about a job situation, your kids are having issues, right? You get stressed out. There is a cortisol spike. I know you teach a lot about that adrenal deficiency that's being caused by stress. Well, the interesting thing is that stress is not just uh, what's in our mind. Stress can also come from physical activity. So it can be from overrunning, overexercising, but also from having digestive issues. It's a physiological stress. And so we forget about that sometimes, you know, like you can be in chronic pain and that can be super tiring and super hard on your adrenals because of the stress that your body's going through. So think of digestion as being one of, uh, is, is basically a stress or potential stressor you can eliminate when you fix it. Um, you know, not to mention that when you fix your gut, you're absorbing nutrients much better from all the food and supplements that one is doing, right? And it's no, you know, it's no brainer to say that our endocrine system is a sucker for good nutrients. There's, I mean, whether, you know, you're talking about um, all the various different amino acids or whether it's like you know, vitamin B6, B12, you know, all of them, vitamin C, magnesium, I mean, they all are hugely necessary for body to have sufficient amounts of in order to function properly. I am, right? You know, so when, you, when you're having um, digestive issues, you're not absorbing food and even supplements for that matter, right? That's why so many people feel much better when they have IVs done because you're bypassing digestion. 
but you know, we want to bring our digestion to a point where it's working well. The other thing is, you know, Amy, if I could just mention that, because that's something that um, is a bit of a, uh, a real concern to me is that, and I don't know whether you see this in your communities, I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but gallbladder issues. Oh, please talk, yes. So talk many women, yeah, and so many women with PCOS um, have issues and, you know, they're, they're advised to get their gallbladders removed. Yeah. Yes. So we have, we have 250,000 um, surgeries in the United States um, happening every year on women and, and you know, and a number of different functional sources. I think it was in Mayo Clinic said that actually um, as many as 75% of them are, n- are not necessary. So let me just explain the, uh, the, the role of the, of the gallbladder, right? So the gallbladder is like a, your little pocket, is like the sachet that sits under the liver. The liver produces something called bile, and the bile then gets stored in the gallbladder, right? There's a little connector between the liver and the gallbladder called the, uh, the, 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 the ducts, right? Those are the, the ducts. That this is what typically the gallstones start depositing, and when they become so big and so, you know, um, uh, painful, right, for, for a person that that's when the doctor looks at it, they do a scan, they go, well, let's just remove the gallbladder, it's this useless organ. And I, you know, and, and it's true that you can live without your gallbladder. Um, the interesting thing is that I've had so many women tell us, you know, whenever I talk about the gallbladder, we, typically the response is, oh my gosh, I never realized that the three months later I started having all these different hormonal problems. And none of my doctors, three months, six months, you know, depends on the person, right? I started having, you know, a year later, I, I'm diagnosed with um, ovarian cancer or I'm having breast lumps, like fibrocystic breasts, like I've never had before, right? And most women don't make the connection, but that's one that the gallbladder has something to do with the symptoms of, of estrogen um, dominance here. So, so let me just explain here. It's just very simple terms. You know, the, the bile is there to emulsify fat. So it's basically, so think of it as like a dish soap, right, um, that you, you use to get off grease off the plates when you're washing plates, right? And, and so there's this two main, I mean, this, it's got a lot of functions, but one of the big ones is that if you are not digesting these fats properly, you are depriving yourself of the precursor for all your pro, uh, steroid hormones. So steroid hormones would be things like progesterone, estrogen, cortisol, pregnenolone, DHEA, testosterone, right? I mentioned testosterone. So um, not thyroid, right? Not thyroid, but all these other ones. And, and so all those hormones, the steroid hormones I mentioned, they're all made out of cholesterol. So when you're having problems digesting fats, and that's why women start going on low-fat diet because they feel so much better, they start avoiding meat because they, you know, otherwise it, it, the food sits there forever in the stomach, feels uncomfortable, feels heavy, painful sometimes, right? So we don't eat those um, good fats. And, you know, and so basically you're depriving yourself of giving your body the precursor for producing your steroid hormones, right? So that's number one. Number two that's really interesting is that the bile acts as a, as a binder to estrogen metabolites that are super harmful in um, growing you know, uh, pathogenic cells in things like breast cancer, thyroid cancers, thyroid nodules, um, ovarian cancers, and um, as well as um, uterine and cervical cancers are all estrogenic cancers that can be hugely connected to estrogen dominance, which I know we're not talking about. Uh, so the bile, you know, the bile is basically there to evacuate and to bind, to bind and then evacuate um, 
these uh, harmful estrogens. And, you know, and the bile basically takes those, it binds it, and then it, we poop them out, right? So that's what the color, actually, the brown color of the poop is, is largely dictated by the bile. So, so that's, you know, this is what drives me crazy is that I, I think it's a huge disservice to women is that most, the surgeon who suggests the operation, his or her job is to operate, right? Just remove it. They don't check in with a patient six months later. It's like, hey, how are you doing? Right? And the cool thing about um, gallbladder problems and gallstones is that most of them, unless they are super advanced and there's too many of them, they actually, can actually be reversed um, with diet changes, with go and see a functional practitioner. There's a number of different supplements that are herbs, Chinese herbs are super powerful at diffusing them. Uh, there's even acupuncture that can be done. There's lasers today that can be, um, you can do a laser therapy to, to basically break out those gallstones. And so all of that is totally possible. Um, so anyway, I thought I would mention this because that's, you know, that's, that's where, again, it comes back to the connection with our digestion. With, yeah, and, and, and your hormones. And, um, you know, I, I really encourage um, listeners to be a diva at the doctor and, <laughs> you know, ask them, is this really necessary? And, you know, they're, at, at the end of the day, your doctor's working for you. Um, and a client. You know, you're yeah, the you're the client, right. And, um, you know, empowering yourself with the knowledge um, about your body and the body processes. Like, you know, you're listening to this podcast right now, and, and thank you for giving us such an eloquent, um, you know, description of, of the function of the gallbladder. Then you can start questioning and, and researching and taking this into your own hands rather than being sort of at the mercy of the surgeon. So, yeah. Great, great information. Um, so I was wondering, um, you know, you talked about the elimination diet for your digestion. Um, and in your book, the way you have it structured is you have like some things that you want to add in, some things you want to sort of take out from your diet. Maybe you could just give us a couple of those um, as teasers. <laughs> Sure. Um, yeah, that's a great idea. So, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't like the word elimination diet because it just sounds very restrictive, but that's why I created the book is just to show women how many more foods you can bring in that are truly delicious. And you just, you're just really cutting out a few foods, you know, it's about five to seven of them. And then there's a whole abundance um, of, so, and, and really focus on the things that you can be having and get excited about the new things you could try. Because I really, I mean, there's a couple of exotic recipes, if you will, but everything else is pretty much um, available. If you walk into a health store, it's, it's all there. I try to make the book really attainable to, to anyone. So, yeah, so the, um, should we talk, you want to talk about the foods that we want to bring in, those additions? Yeah, for digestion. Let's just focus on that, that leg. Mm hmm. Yeah. So, you know, um, I think the so for digestion, I mean, you've heard about a lot of things already, things like, you know, the bone broth is really great stuff. Right. Um, you know, I'm not a big fan of bringing on using tropical fruit. The only exception will be using a bit of pineapple uh, mm -hmm. once in a while because of bromelain in it. And that's a really great that stimulates your digestion in a beautiful way. And it gets you going. It gets the digestive juices going. Um, you know, starting off the day with, like, if you look at the meal plans, we have meal plans in the book for every specific condition. So for PCOS, for menopause, for thyroid, low thyroid and Hashimoto's, right, estrogen dominance. And so um, every meal plan starts with lemon juice first thing in the morning, right, alkalizing the body, but also stimulating the digestion. 
you know, having a good stomach acid is a prerequisite to, for, for us to stop producing the enzymes. So it's interesting, right, because the stomach acid is what um, provokes the, the production of enzymes that are going to be chomping down and breaking the food down, whether it's the fats and the proteins and the carbohydrates, right? And so I'm a, you know, I'm a huge fan um, of that. And, um, you know, yeah, so, I mean, the, uh, I'm, you know, most of the book is, is based on cooked foods. I'm a big proponent of using more cooked foods, lightly, even if it's just lightly cooked foods, um, just for an easier absorption and easier digestion as compared to raw foods, per se. Um, there are a couple of smoothie recipes, but one of the things I just want to mention is that when you, even when you're drinking your smoothie, you know, it's interesting, most people don't realize that the digestion of carbohydrates actually starts in our mouth with our saliva, right? There's specific enzymes in the saliva that start breaking down the food. And so when you're just chomping down, you know, just like throwing down that smoothie down your throat, right, thinking that it's going to get digested down, uh, it actually starts in your mouth. So whether you're doing soups or you're doing smoothies, always do a little bit like a swoosh in your mouth, you know, with that, because, you know, smoothie is mostly carbohydrates, right? So do like a smooth, uh, you know, a, a smooth movement, uh, swooshing movement in your mouth and to, to combine it with the saliva before you swallow. Um, another food that I really like adding is, you know, for a good digestion is fiber. So one of the big things about, um, also about hormonal health is you, you've got to have a good bowel movement, right? When you don't poop properly and fully, so you feel emptied, then what happens is the body, the, the toxins, including those metabolized hormones that are harmful, re-enter the body back on again. And that's when they start causing problems. So a good bowel movement is essential. Uh, for that, I, I love using, obviously, fiber. One of the easiest things that you can do is just be adding two tablespoons of ground flaxseed into your meals. Um, I, I'm a big proponent of using buying, buying full flaxseed, in full seed and whole seed, and then <clears throat> pre-grinding that for maybe three, four days, maximum one uh, week's worth of um, food that you're going to use, adding that to your smoothies. That's a really, if you have a good thing, like I use Nutribullet, and Nutribullet is so good, it just grinds everything up, uh, then I use a full flax seed, two tablespoons, and that gives us the fiber. It also helps with metabolizing and detoxing us from estrogens. We can talk about that. In- yeah, you know what, let's, let's move on to um, the issue with um, estrogen dominance and PCOS? Yeah. So, you know, the interesting thing is that actually, so let's just define, uh, let, let me just talk about symptoms of estrogen dominance in the first place so people can like right, right. away connect, you know, and, and see if it's you. So ter- having terrible PMS is even though so many of us are used to the fact that it's normal to have a PMS, I just want to tell you it is not. <laughs> and when you have a truly well-balanced body, you would not have a PMS per se. I mean, you will feel it, it's coming on, you feel it, it's there, and then it goes away uh, like, a, like, a, you know, like a pleasant invited guest to a house rather than an intruder. And so, and by the way, just a note on this, if you have terrible PMSs, we see a correlation with women going into ter- having terrible menopause. And so that's no fun either. So take care of it now. Mm-hmm. Um, before it gets, you know, before you get into menopause, because that's really, that's what, you know, the really hell starts happening. Um, and so PMS is another thing is, of course, you know, having fibrocystic breasts, lumps on your breasts, right, are, are typically is due to estrogen dominance. More serious stuff like um, fibroids, endometriosis, um, 
you know, estrogen positive receptor breast cancers, uh, which by the way, are 80% of breast cancers in this country are due to estrogen uh, problems, right? So it means that uh, estrogen receptor positive. So estrogen dominance is the main cause of it. Um, you know, also infertility, that's a huge one. Lack of ovulation, um, you know, like irregular periods, lack of periods can also be due to estrogen dominance, right? So, you know, um, getting like having water retention, let's talk about like maybe some of the vague ones, like water retention. You got to take your rings off, especially some parts of your mouth, right? You're getting all puffy. Uh, that's, that could be one. You know, interestingly, where we deposit fat in our body can actually tell us what kind of an imbalance we have. So I know a lot of probably your ladies, when you have PCOS, you tend to be the apple shape, right? So carry quite a lot of weight around the tummy. Well, women who are estrogen dominant tend to carry their weight in the butts and their thighs. So we call it the pear shape, right? And that includes cellulite as well. So, you know, a lot of times women do all this topical stuff on cellulite to get rid of it. And, and really all it is is just estrogen dominance. You address that, it goes away, right? So I think those are the, the big ones. Um, and, um, you know, and, and so how does estrogen dominance happen? So let's just talk about that first. So sure, you can have, um, you, you know, people a lot of times talk about, oh, yeah, well, it's because you're using synthetic products in your house, skincare products and cleaning products that are just full of um, sorry, uh, xenoestrogens, which is the external estrogens, right, uh, harmful estrogens. And, and that is true. They can be a big contributor as well. But I find that more often than not, it's just how our body works on the inside, how we metabolize these estrogens is equally important. So let's just talk about more focus on the internal side and the food parts that can really impact it. Mm -hmm. um, two main scenarios that estrogen dominance happens. The first one is when, you are, um, when you're lacking sufficient progesterone to oppose uh, the second estrogen called <clears throat> estradiol. Which is, little, pop, which is very typical of women with PCOS. Right, yeah. right. Um, and, you know, and, and so just a little note, side note here is that uh, I, I see a lot of times people writing to us saying, I need to bring my estrogen down. Like, why are you suggesting foods in your cookbook or in your blog that have a lot of estrogen in them? For example, flaxseed, right? And so it's a total misunderstanding of, first of all, not all estrogens are the same. And the problem starts with estrogen is how we break them down. The metabolites of the estrogens is what the problem is. It's not the amount of the estrogen that we have. And so you need estrogen to function properly, period. I mean, without estrogen, we won't be able to function. So the first, the first way that estrogen dominance can happen is, like I said, you have the second estrogen called estradiol, this insufficient progesterone to oppose it. And sure, I mean, you can, you know, you can experiment with things like progesterone creams or oils. I'm, I'm a big fan of those. But you can also do, you know, um, follow the protocols that I have in the book to show you how to bring in a lot of really beneficial foods to help your um, corpus luteum to stop producing its own progesterone, right? Create the kind of perfect environment for it. The second, the second way estrogen dominance happens is that when you have any of these three estrogens, especially the, the first and the second one, when they... Estro, estrone and estradiol, the way they get broken down to metabolites makes a huge difference. And these metabolites can be protective or they can be very antagonistic. And so, like, just to give you, you know, for maybe for, for people who are in the medical field, um, we were talking about, for example, estrone. There is the metabolites 2 and 16, 2, 4 and 16 hydroxyestrone. The, the 4 and the 16 are hugely antagonistic and they are the ones that are actually causing the profiliation of breast cancer cells, um, where two is hugely protective. 
So the beautiful thing about food is that we can influence how these metabolites are broken down to. And that can happen in the gut and the liver. So, you know, when you talk about the gut, the other thing I didn't mention about the gut is there's something called the estrobolum, which is a subset of bacteria, gut bacteria, right? They can influence how estrogens are broken down. And there's actual studies that I'm quoting in my book. Uh, and it all goes back to having really good beneficial bacteria. So bring on, you know, the fermented foods if you can, right? But then it's again, and then, and then the second part is the liver. If the liver breaks down those estrogens, then the bad ones, the bad guys get pooped out and the good ones are there to do the work. So, you know, it's, it's pretty fascinating how we can absolutely control it and influence it. And one of my favorite foods uh, for estrogen dominance, actually two foods. One is flaxseed. So, you know, and this goes back to the point I was mentioning to you earlier, uh, Amy, is how many people emails are saying, I don't use flaxseed in my diet because it's phytoestrogenic. It's got estrogens in it, and I'm already estrogen dominant, hence I shouldn't be using it. And that makes, you know, it kind of makes sense until you really look under the hood, and then you realize that there's more to be learned about estrogens. And, and so the cool thing about flaxseed is that flaxseed actually helps to move the balance of those, the, the, the two and the 16s that I talked about, the, the, the metabolites, flaxseed helps to move the balance towards the two, the protective. And, you know, and then the second food that I love to use are broccoli sprouts. So for those of you who get my book, you see those broccoli sprouts in a lot of different things, smoothies and just as a, you know, as a topping and little garnish here and there. And there are fascinating studies that show that just a cup of, broccoli sprouts today have the same efficacy as tamoxifen, which is this super wow. nasty, you know, it's wow. an estrogen blocker for mm-hmm. estrogen receptor positive women, uh, right, who have a breast cancer. And, but guess what? Tamoxifen, typically women are put on it for five to seven years. Why? Because your liver gets destroyed by using tamoxifen, right? Not to mention all the different side effects. And so here you have a couple of broccoli sprouts which have sufficient amount of sulforaphane, which is the active compound that helps with phase two liver detoxification, specifically those pathways that cl- help us clear those estrogens. So now you have a little bit. So that's why I wrote the book for intelligent women who want to know the why. But maybe broccoli sprouts are not your favorite thing. Honestly, I, I mean, would I be sitting there and like chewing on them while I'm watching a movie? No, I mean, they're not the favorite thing. I mean, neither are they disgusting, but they're, you know, they're kind of grassy and, and, um, and very vegetal, you know, and they're in their taste, right? But when you know the power of it, right, and you already are very lumpy, you've got fibrocystic breast, right? You're worried about your mom had breast cancer. You worry, you're living in this constant fear. Oh, my God, the me is going to, I'm going to be next. Please don't do that because you have absolute control and influence on a number of different things. And that includes and these little broccoli sprouts is a good example of that. Yeah, it's so powerful to really be um, using your food as medicine. I mean, it sure um, becomes your, your produce bin and your, your refrigerator becomes your pharmacy, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So... I often um, direct people to your fabulous blog about coffee and how <laughs> that affects our hormones. Um, when I'm running my Jumpstart program, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a very gentle, whole food-based cleanse, and I ask women to um, eliminate coffee mm. and alcohol for a week. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, honestly, it's so difficult for so many women 
to get to eliminate coffee. Um, and they always want to know why. So I send them your way. But I would love to sort of, um, you know, top off this talk about, you know, using foods and what we put on our mouth to manipulate our hormones. If you could just sort of explain um, kind of the, the cons of coffee and alcohol when it comes to hormonal balance. Oh my God! You really are trying to make me so unpopular for your with your listeners. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think we're gonna lose like half of our podcast. Yeah, listeners. but you know what? It, it's great to really, like you said, to understand the why, so that you can make empowered choices for yourself. And you know, I know for myself, I reserve coffee as a mindful indulgence, and I'll have it like on the weekend, and I'm very mindful, and I and I enjoy it more. Um, during the week, I drink herbal teas um, and matcha. Um, I'm actually just I'm drinking some Earl Grey tea with, right now. Um, mm. Where years ago, I'd be drinking coffee all day long um, yeah. with, with cream and sugar. So, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so um, yeah, so you know, I, I, so you're not talking about caffeine altogether. You're talking about coffee, right? Well. I mean, um, you know, because we know matcha has, has caffeine in it too, but um, maybe just talk a little bit about coffee and caffeine and maybe okay. how, how tea caffeine is a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I want to say, you know, is if you're drinking coffee for the taste, then I have a great recipe in the book called the uh, Better Than Latte uh, recipe that uses uh, roasted chicory, roasted dandelion, uh, carob, and medicinal mushrooms. So it gives you also a boost for your immune system. And that tastes so close to coffee because of the roasting. You, you're working with roasted uh, roots that not only are hugely beneficial for your liver, um, so both dandelion and chicory are bitters, and both of these bitters are hugely supportive for the liver. So you're doing your liver a favor, but also it tastes very similar to coffee. So you know, and then you can either drink that as it is black or add, um, add some uh, coconut milk to it or almond milk or whatever and, and make that into a latte, right? So that's, that's one recipe to consider if you're just looking for coffee for taste. Now, if you're looking for a kick, right, and coffee is the source of energy for you, then, you know, the bad news is that, first of all, you're completely, you're just basically robbing your bank. You're just taking things out of your bank account, uh, think of it this way, right? It's like you're running a credit card and you have no, nothing to back it up with and you're just basically taking money out. You go shopping and go shopping and go shopping while you don't have anything in a bank account. So that's what happens when you drink, when you're using coffee and just generally caffeine as a source of energy. Um, I agree with you, you know, um, Amy, about using that as a special treat once in a while. The um, so let, let me just talk about like what's 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 up with coffee. So a, a couple of things. One is it said it acidifies the body, period, right? And it's not that's not the caffeine, it's the coffee itself and the oils in the coffee acidify the body, which then if you talk about things like candida, for example, which most women have a problem with, uh, you know, it creates a perfect environment for candida to work in and and function and grow. And this is goes back again to the health of your gut, right? The second thing is with, with caffeine is that, you know, it has a profound impact on the phase two liver detoxification, um, specifically impairing the two big pathways in the liver called the methylation and the sulfation pathways, uh, which are responsible for clearing a lot of our hormones. And so it's no, no surprise when for a lot of women, when they go to co get off coffee, a lot of their hormonal symptoms, including hot flashes, night sweats, um, but also, you know, PMS, um, 
symptoms and including fibrocystic breast start disappearing, right? Um, you know, another interesting thing about coffee is that it's a magnesium robber. Uh, that's, that's another thing that's, that's hugely important here. Uh, you know, magnesium is like, it's a spark plug for the adrenals. You need that badly. Um, magnesium is also hugely necessary for, for our, um, for estrogen dominance to get cleared because of the help that it gives to the liver. So, you know, I mean, this is, this is, um, all around is, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, it's a real addictive substance. And, and if you have certain genetic predisposition, you are slow caffeine metabolizer, mm-hmm. that you are in even more trouble. A lot of, I cannot tell you how many women I've worked with who had anxiety problems, depression problems, got off caffeine, um, got off coffee, and that has gotten much better. So I don't want to lose our audience here completely because I know some people, especially if you have a, a tendency towards addictive uh, substances and you're getting that kick every uh, time in the morning and you just cannot get off it, um, I want to offer a couple of alternatives here. So number one is that you always want to have your um, – well, actually, let me talk about first about matcha. So you mentioned matcha, um, Amy, and, you know, I think it's a wonderful alternative. Like I stopped drinking coffee. I had to um, because it was making me really angry and mean towards other people, and so it was just really messing with my neurotransmitters. So I, I ended up switching to matcha, which is, you know, matcha is actually pretty high in, in um, caffeine. One teaspoon of matcha is about equivalent of one shot of espresso. So it's not, you know, it's not, it's not nothing. It's quite a bit. Um, the idea is that the cool thing about matcha is that it doesn't give you the same jerky, jittery effect as coffee does. It's not, uh, it's not acidifying for the body. And the cool thing also is that it contains what's what's called L-theamine, which is the calming agent. Um, so, you know, matcha originally was given to both warriors in Japan for energy, but also for meditating monks um, to basically stay focused, but still could meditate. I mean, you know, most people can't, cannot meditate after coffee, but you can, put, you, you know, you, it gives you the sense of energy and strength. So that's, that's, a, that's a really good alternative. So if you wonder how to spell it, it's M-A-T-C-H-A, matcha. Um, and, um, you know, and then the other piece of advice is to never drink um, anything caffeinated on an empty stomach. That you're just setting yourself up for a total disaster, both from a blood sugar level control per, uh, perspective, your adrenals are going to just get a like, this big hit, right, of, of stimulation first thing in the morning. Um, cushion it off always with food. So you're going to do your breakfast first, like the kind of breakfast that Amy always recommends. We are on the same page. On many things, I think most things, and breakfast is one of them. Um, and only after that, having a, a bit of caffeine um, is important. The other thing is start noticing if caffeine is what really is what you're looking for to pick you up throughout the day. If you, you know, if you're having a high a breakfast that's super high in carbohydrates, then you're bound by 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, you're bound to get really tired. And that's when you're reaching out for another coffee all over again, Right. If you do a very sustained kind of breakfast, I like to do protein, fats, fiber, first thing in the morning, uh, as little sugar or no sugar at all. And in fact, I love savory breakfast. There's a lot of savory breakfast options in the cookbook. You know, is where it sets you up for success where you actually do not crave coffee later in the day. And so having maybe one a day, it's not so, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's fine uh, not having three or four to kind of get you going. It's a little different when you do a detox, like you're doing your detoxes, Amy, right? Like this is the time you really want to give your liver right. a break. 
But you know, getting off caffeine can be can be hard. I mean, the side effects is a drug, period, right? And people argue with saying that it's not a drug. So think about it. Like, you know, when you when people have people who are addicted to cocaine, heroin, whatever, right? Whatever drug, you get them off pain medication. When you get them off, are there any side effects? Sure. Do they feel good when they take it? Yeah. Do they feel like crap when they don't take it? Yeah. Look at coffee. That's exactly, it meets all these three criteria. You feel great when you drink it. You don't feel so great when you don't have it. And then you feel terrible when you stop it, right? Mm-hmm. All, it takes all the three for being a real drug. So it's, you know, it's a matter to be reckoned with. And um, when you're doing a detox, I would suggest to actually get off it as, as, as long as like even a week, five days before. So you just, you don't suffer from yeah. the and all that. Yeah. Um, gosh, this, you know, I could go on and on. There's <laughs> so much great content um, in, in your new book, but I think I'm going to have to invite John for another podcast and we'll, <laughs> we'll continue the discussion. Um, I, I, I do want you to um, maybe leave us with a couple hormone balancing superfoods from your book that, you know, could be beneficial for, for those of us with PCOS. Um, and then, you know, please tell us where we can find out more about your work and um, where we can find your book. Sure. So, um, so let's talk about the, the foods first you mentioned. Um, I'm a big fan of adding cruciferous vegetables to your diet, right? So it's all that, you know, my absolute favorite is arugula, broccoli, broccoli sprouts, of course, uh, cauliflower. The book is full of those uh, collard greens, bok choy, uh, all the different radishes, bringing them to soups and stews is just a wonderful way of um, adding them in. So that's, that's definitely one, one food. I think for your audience, it will be one uh, cool recipe that I've developed. It, can, it, can, um, it uses a root called kudzu, K-U-D-Z-U. Um, and kudzu, there's a pudding uh, that I'm using with very little sugar. In fact, you could replace the sugar with uh, stevia. And, um, and that's, a, that's a root that helps with sugar balance control. It's a really lovely pudding to do. Like if you're feeling a little package before going to bed, you want to have something satisfying but not sweet. Um, and kudzu also see, helps with sleep. So it helps with sugar balance but also helps with falling asleep. So that's a really um, awesome one. Um, you know, one more that maybe I want to mention since most people have very compromised immune systems when you're making those bomb broths we talked about, I really wanted to, um, you know, I, I basically um, really boosted them with a lot more immune-boosting uh, herbs. And so one of the, my favorites is astragalus, which is a Chinese uh, herb that is also super tasty, so it's not going to make your broth taste weird. Um, and just adding that in, if you're not making bone broth, if you're just making a soup, just adding a couple of pieces of astragalus is just a wonderful way of boosting your um, your immune system. So that, you know, there's so many others. There's pomegranates. We have oh, I know. behind pomegranates. There's another one, right? We got reishi mushrooms. We got chaga mushrooms. Those are some of the more exotic ones. But, you know, let's not forget about the basic stuff like the lemons and the limes. You know, mm-hmm. when you, the next time you're making a salad, do not throw away the rind. Use the rind, uh, you know, into, add it to your salads and your soups because it contains a substance called D-limonene, which again supports the liver and detoxification process, right? It's going to help mm. your hormones. And so this goes on. We have, there is a whole list of 20 superfoods and 20 uh, power herbs, spices, and mushrooms uh, that we have in the food apothecary se- section. 
so you can uh, look it up. But very fun foods, most of them easily available. Yeah, and your recipes really highlight them and, um, you know, make them very accessible to, to add into your day. So I can't yeah. wait, to, wait to dig in and share the recipes with my family. Thank you, Amy. And the book is, uh, you know, the, the website is basically the, the title of the book, which is cookingforhormonebalance.com. Um, you can grab it there. And um, the cool thing about that is that we got some special bonuses uh, for you. So, uh, you know, including things that's been taken out of the book because I had a lot more content that I wanted to present. Uh, we've got also like videos, cooking videos of those recipes. We've got uh, a kitchen makeover. So I'm actually, I did a whole walkthrough the kitchen on how to stock the kitchen, what kind of pots and pans to use, et cetera, et cetera, the whole uh, video series on that. So you're going to get all of that as part of the bonus uh, when you get the book. So, yeah, so that's the website. Oh, great. Well, I am... Um so thrilled to be be able to actually have your book in my hand soon um and it's really beautiful uh and i'm just so happy that you came on again and i'm gonna um you know if you enjoyed this podcast please listen to um my podcast with magdalena about herbs for hormone balance which we did um last year so i'm going to post that in the program notes as well as the link to um, those book bonuses and her site so thank you so much for for joining us again thank you it was such a pleasure amy and thank you everyone for listening thanks for joining us today i hope that you enjoyed this podcast and learned a little something that can help you along in your journey for more information about PCOS and PCOS Diva products and programs, visit PCOSDiva.com. This podcast was sponsored by my new book, Healing PCOS. It's my proven 21-day diet and lifestyle plan to help women with PCOS take back control of their health and resolve their symptoms. Healing PCOS offers you daily, small, manageable steps that help alleviate symptoms and control the inflammation, hormonal imbalance, and insulin resistance that underlie PCOS. The 21-day plan consists of a 21-day anti-inflammatory hormone balancing meal plan, including meal prep and plan-ahead tips to make eating like a PCOS diva sustainable, 85 delicious recipes, daily lessons, and self-care exercises. I have helped tens of thousands of women with PCOS take back control over their health and their lives through lasting healing and sustainable lifestyle change. So whether you're newly diagnosed or have struggled a lifetime with PCOS, this book is for you. Find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere books are sold.